I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. They want benign indifference. They want us drugging. We could be pets. We could be food. But all we really are is livestock. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. We're going to phone it in. And welcome to another part two episode of the Great Deception Podcast with my good friends, Old Scary World and Davey Wavy. How's it going, gentlemen? Good. Fantastic, man. Thanks for coming back. Tonight, we got another good one, guys. We got uh, part two of the music discussion that we were going into last time. And where we left off last time, I believe we were um, just starting to get into some of the uh, satanic ritual abuse. And uh, and we were going to go down and, and start looking a little bit into the 27 Club and, and into really how the CIA and uh, had their ties in not only, you know, creating bands, uh, drug trade, and, and using the music industry a, a, as a front, uh, not only for money laundering, but uh, many nefarious activities. And not only creating bands, Matt, but uh, also may, uh, creating their demise. Oh, without the, a doubt, The, the right? demise of, like, not just the bands, but, like, the, the front men or the whatever, people. right? Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 And that's the thing, like, you know, and, and the crazy part about it is they're like, oh, they just used to do it then. No, it still goes on today. Absolutely. In without a doubt. And when I, uh, you know, one of my early episodes was a mind control episode. And, you know, one of the things I got and I was it was based off my Disney episode. So I was kind of flowing out of Disney, but still tying Disney to mind control and music because you look within the, you know the transition from the disney mickey mouse club into the music industry you see all of the signs of mind control in them and all the symbolism mm -hmm. and and you know any of these artists especially nowadays that get big and, and i'm sure we'll get into this you'll see them present all of the signs to tell you that they are playing the game for sure. You thought Zeppelin was bad back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I look mean, at Rihanna, all these rappers now, man. You look like, at Rihanna. Crazy. Rihanna has done every single one, right? You look in the, all the monarchies from the beta sex kitten to the one eye to the, you know, Illuminati hand signs and different poses. And, you know, you think about what she went through with Chris Brown and that whole scenario. I mean, it's, 
it's just like the and, and they just do it artist after artist you know britney spears christine uh christina aguilera uh you know um gaga yeah it just go, the Everything. goes goes and on and on and and it goes back to post world war ii you know and that's where it really starts getting you know infiltrated and and turned basically on a 180 and it went from music was something for entertainment and something to you know in, in many ways to heal people um but it was turned you know aside from the frequency being changed in some music to uh just the the overall tone of the music the messaging of the music turned severely in the you know 50s into the 60s Right. Have either of you guys heard of the song? Uh, I think it was recorded in the 30s, or it could be earlier than that, called Gloomy Sunday. Yeah, that's that uh, Hungarian song that supposedly gets people to kill themselves. <laughs> yeah, I listened to it a few times. It's a beautiful song, actually, but it's full of yeah. grief and shit like that. Yeah. I was kind of scared to listen to it initially because I read stories about it. Just take like, away uh, your belt and shoelaces. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. No sharp no, objects a, around while you're a, listening. It's a really I, nice song. I like it. I think there's probably some country western songs that are a little bit more depressing than that one. Yeah, it's a tear in my beer, said Hank Williams. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, one, one, of those, one of those kinds of songs probably be, or even like... Um, you know, some of the old folk songs or something like that. But I think that that Hungarian song, was it called Gloomy Sunday? Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, maybe a few people did. It was like a coincidence and it just kind of turned into like an urban legend, maybe. Probably, yeah. But uh, Matt was mentioning uh, the Disney and I, I thought of another one was Justin Timberlake. Yep. Oh, he and, was part uh, of the... Uh... The, uh, Mickey, Mouse Club, a di- right? Mickey Mouse Club, yeah. Oh, Disney. yeah, and then Miley Cyrus is another oh. one. Oh, yeah, dude. Because uh, uh, Hannah Montana. Yep. Well, dude, the she funny does thing... The, she does the tongue thing all the time. Well, yeah. and the funny thing about the whole Hannah Montana scenario was it was, it was, she was, you know, split personality right from the start. She was two different people, um, and her, her symbol was the butterfly. At, but like Monarch... Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the whole breaking and splitting of personalities that the, the whole monarch mind control. And it was, you know, to a T and, and it played out not only it, it seems like in the show, but in real life as well. Of course, well, this how is they, all just coincidence, though, right, guys? Of course. Yeah. And, and how they achieve how they achieve that uh, that brain splitting uh, is pretty disturbing as far as um, they'll they'll be very nice and very rewarding and um you know uh positive reinforcement and then they'll do the exact opposite they'll put them in a dark room and abuse them and um and then they'll take them out of the room and then it's just oh yeah there's never there's actually a i I went over this in my uh in my episode scary and there's actually a 12 they call it the 12 steps to brainwashing Mm -hmm. oh shit does that coincide with uh the 12 step program. <laughs> oh no, this, this is like terrified submission, you know, willful compliance, Stockholm syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, you know, religious indoctrination, brainwashing through social influence, brainwashing through deprivation of basic needs. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just evil shit. And then it gets then, into the, 
the really stuff like spiritual programming and psychic driving and you know mm-hmm. all these heavy like psycho and then then you get into the you know the trauma based uh coercion you know and that's yeah. that's where it gets really really dark and you can you can obviously break somebody down like that and and create um you know a slave but how they get the the celebrities to keep performing and keep acting somewhat normal is like i said they do the bad stuff but then they also do the exact opposite which is to treat them very not and that's what creates the brain split in other words you could you could abuse somebody and treat them very poorly 24 or hours a day or them greatly yeah but, but when you but they get yeah. to go out on that stage and there's 30,000 people cheering and screaming for them you know that's their yeah. reward they'll they'll and they'll go through it right and they get paid good money they get to travel all over the world but yeah. you are under lock and key for the most part yeah you got to go into that satanic ritual room where you get mm-hmm. fucked over like crazy by like multiple people well a little off John topic Podesta. and I, Look at I don't John wanna... Podesta and fucking Chester Bennington man well, yeah, no. that's, that's a creepy, <sighs> fuck, eerie lookalike. Sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, I was going to say, along the lines of this weird satanic whole thing, you guys know of the Black Eye Club, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I was watching something recently, and they were talking about the black, the way that they inject. Uh, I, I don't know whether it's alien or reptilian. That worm contain yeah into you is through your eye and that's what happens and they're saying that that you know they were trying some of the guy was trying to tie the black eye club with basically these people have been you know essentially they're borderline reptiles i saw that as well and i was like whoa that's wild yeah and that, you know that's I, just... I saw that i saw that worm thing like a while ago and i'm like hmm. what the fuck is this right and then i saw like that how that guy was trying to tie it in with like the uh reptilian eyes and shit i'm like holy shit dude mm-hmm. yeah but it, it, it but that all goes into this whole thing of control right and that's what we start seeing post-world war ii is you see this the cia just explodes and 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 is has their hands in every industry and one of the industries that they severely impacted was the music industry um and for anyone that's not really aware if you go back and look at you know a lot of the major bands in the 60s and 70s they were created they were you know the some of them weren't even really musicians they didn't write their music uh you know i mean jim morrison's a crazy case study in himself i mean mm-hmm. you look at who his father is you look at you know how supposedly he w- didn't even play music and then all of a sudden was able to pick it up and write lyric, write songs and uh and then he became the lizard king which mm-hmm. yeah right always you know nowadays that rubs me a very you know it's an interesting thing and he you know he's the lizard king and mr uh, mojo rising yeah so i mean that whole that whole jim morrison thing is a wild story you know those who don't know his father was a uh involved in the gulf of tonkin incident which mm-hmm. ended up being a false flag that got yeah, he was like a navy down. captain right yeah he was high ranking mm-hmm. in the navy and uh then you know just so happens his son becomes a famous musician and you'll see that with a lot of these 
musicians and a lot of the actors as well that you start looking and you see their connections and they're either connected to military, they're connected to the three letter agencies or their parents are high in, in corporate or uh, government. You know, it's not you or I that are making it big in Hollywood. That whole rags to riches story is a lot of bullshit. I mean, all those, all those stories we've been fed, you know, 90 they talk about uh ed sheeran being like a busker on the street playing guitar and then all of a sudden he's like this massive celebrity that's you know like i don't know i don't know really anything about him i wonder if there's a, uh, a story to him because how's a busker gonna get that fucking famous you know yeah and i mean obviously there's some that slip through the cracks right there there are some a few of those stories but the ones that they really put out to you most of the time end up being bullshit but i've i've seen better than ed sheeran you know what i mean Busters. well that's the thing with music <laughs> that's the thing with music and it comes back to you know <clears throat> how do these certain bands get or why do these certain bands get pushed because you can go down on the local scene and find bands some of the you know there's some bands out there that never get past the local level that if they had the right promotion are better than what's out there like a thousand times better than whoever right you know whether it's technically whether it's you know from their lyrical standpoint whether it's from a you know performing standpoint they're they're better but they just never get their shot and it's again like everything it's a small club and and to get into it you know it's not easy and you know a lot of it has to do with who you know who you're related to and then what are you who willing you, to you, do? Who you blow? Yeah. Yeah. What are you willing to do? <laughs> right. And yeah, that's... and that's yeah, exactly. And that's the thing you I was uh, going to say when you were talking about the Disney thing was the Disney uh, Corporation used to be like a clearinghouse for talent. Yeah. In other words, they were like gatekeepers. They were the feeders. And, yeah. Yeah, and they were like the recruiters, <laughs> and uh, so was uh, Ed McMahon with uh, what was that Star Search? Yep. Remember in the eighties. That's how Britney Spears, that was her first television appearance was on Star Search. So she was on Star Search and she was just a little girl and she sang and whatever. And she had a voice. Maybe there was nothing nefarious at that juncture in her life. But then I think what happened was Disney watches or was watching um, Star Search. And then that's how they found talent. And Ryan Gosling was on Star Search as well. And then he got picked up by the by the Mickey Mouse Club. Uh, and then he was more of an actor than a musician. But he is a musician, too. But Gosling was Mickey Mouse Club. Yep. Yeah. But, but before he was Mickey, before he was Mickey Mouse Club, he was on Star Search, and that's I think that's how Disney found him. So, anyways, we fast we fast forward to two thousand and two, or not two thousand two, two thousand twenty two now, um, and I think they watch YouTube. I think they watch TikTok, and they send certain people offers, and they say, okay, we know we understand you have. 5 million followers on TikTok and you have 10 million subscribers on YouTube. That's really good. That's really great. But do you want to step up to the big boys table and do you want to be a halt? You know, do you want to be backed by Hollywood? And the great thing, and this is the beautiful thing is that a lot of people are saying, no, I got this far on my own. I'm fine. Thank you very much. I don't want to sign a contract with anybody except for myself. Well, and that's why my, my favorite artists nowadays are all independent. I, mm-hmm. I don't listen to many label artists anymore. And here's and here's the other beautiful thing. They can't shut down the platform that enables self-promotion 
because it's part of the machine now. In other words, they can't shut down YouTube. Yep. They can't shut down Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or Twitter or any of those things that people can or, use. Or the internet in general, right? You can have your own right. page. Exactly. It's all about getting your own organic traffic. You don't have to rely on their AstroTurf fake promotion bullshit. I know people who are great musicians and they're falling for that. I know people who are struggling with self-promotion and they'll pay these agencies to give uh, fake publicity, but it actually doesn't go anywhere because it's not connected to the top. Well, and those and, are bot views, right? Those aren't yeah, real. It's not, it's, it's not real energy. And that's yeah. what, that's what people don't understand about this. And in order to, to have a real homegrown roots effort, you have to have a connection with people. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and just to get numbers, especially empty numbers, that doesn't translate into dollars in the long run. And, and that's no. what a lot of these up and coming people nowadays don't realize. They're, like you said, they're willing to pay for these fake numbers to, for the appearance of it. But in the, in the yeah. long run, it's going to backfire on them. Well, it's yeah. also it's fake. It's also fake promotion of their music. In other words, it's like they say that they're promoters and they say they can get you, you know, these uh, uh, celebrity endorsement. And they'll actually it's kind of like uh, you guys well, they have it for podcasts, Gary. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. You, you heard if you heard a camo. Yeah, I think. it's And it's like you get celebrities to like say happy birthday and all that stuff. Yeah, like, it's cameo. Uh, yep. Yeah, cameo. So you can a musician can do that. They can actually pay known musicians so we'll, we'll use heavy metal as an example so you, they'll actually pay uh celebrity musicians to promote nobody bands but it doesn't actually go anywhere because the nobody band doesn't have an organic following exactly so they think they think oh i'm getting a shout out and it's like it doesn't do anything because the people who are into say if it's the guy uh i don't know i'll just use an example say it's the, some guy from system of a down or something like that well yeah, all the system of a down fans are going to see this promotion, but then they go to the, the other person, the nobody uh, band, and they go, well, I don't really like this. So it doesn't, it doesn't work because you're not reaching your actual organic demograph. Right. And so how the satanic you know, um, industry thrived in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, and even up until just maybe 10 years ago, was they were the ones who controlled MTV. They controlled, uh, what is it, Clear Nation? What's the big radio? Um, Clear, Channel. Clear Channel. Clear Channel, you know, and they were the gatekeepers. Here's, here's the truth. And this, I hope that, you know, there's any aspiring musicians listening to this podcast is you don't need the satanic uh, gatekeepers anymore. What you need is you need genuine talent and you need to be uh, personable. And you don't need to play shows. And I touched, I, I touched on that the last podcast, but it's, it's really important because their whole thing is crumbling. And you see that. And I want to talk about the Neil Young and Spotify thing. Okay. Neil Young didn't pull his music. You know, he, um, he doesn't own his music, so he couldn't have pulled it. Well, he only owns half of it, right? Yeah, but he doesn't own the publishing rights. So the publishing rights include Spotify. So he didn't really pull his music. He came on as a spokesman for a decision that Hypnosis made, which is the company that owns his music. Which and is owned goes, by Blackstone. Right. Yeah. So he's, it's just, it's an illusion. And it's, um, you know, they're going after Joe Rogan because they got him saying the N word now. Yeah. But they already That's knew that he said that. Started. Oh, yeah. They, they say that, they put that in their back pocket and said, oh, well, we'll, <clears> use that, we'll use that against him at the right time. So you see this, 
this double attack. You, you see it coming from people like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and a few other musicians saying, oh, we're not going to, we're going to take our music off Spotify and you guys should all cancel your subscriptions to hurt them, you know, in the, in the bottom line. But what it really is, is it's an attack on Joe Rogan because not because of who Joe Rogan is, but because it shows that there's competition and other, it shows people that they could get to that level. And you literally just, you don't need to be a part of it anymore. But people, um, they, they, they keep going along with the illusion and they think that they're not going to be revered. And they might not be like a household name, but they could make a good living without selling out. And selling out's fine when you do it for yourself. But when you do the, the Black Eye Club, and you know, I think the Black Eye Club, if you want to take it down a notch and not turn into a, a, a worm thing or a reptilian thing, it's just simply it's a Masonic ritual that you get punched in the face. It's a humiliation ritual. Like you have to go out in public with it. Like you've got to get a picture of it. Interesting. You know, like, because yeah. <clears throat> we know that they have black eyes. So that means that they went outside. It's like they could have just as easily covered it up with makeup or not gone outside until it healed. Why do they go out with that? Why do they go out? It seems like they actually go out of their way to get photographed. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. It's, that it's part of the, and, and yeah. when they have a boot on their ankle. That's the other mm. thing. Whenever they break mm. their ankle mm. or break their leg, they always are, are, are photographed with a boot on a cast. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. That was going around a lot in like 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. The, boot, the boot club. Yeah, the politicians people, breaking their ankles and stuff. Yeah, and people were saying that it had something to do with uh, like house arrest or something. Oh, yeah, like having an ankle bracelet on. Yeah. But I think it's actually probably something more sinister. Usually is. I yeah. think I think at, on the surface, what we're seeing uh, celebrities do when it comes to like selling out or whatever, uh, like this whole like this whole worm thing that you mentioned earlier, Matt, like the worm in the eye. This whole thing. Uh, it, <sighs> It seems like there's something way more fucking sinister to this whole thing than meets the eye. You know what I mean? Okay, so they get this worm planted, implanted in their eye, right? And then they become reptilian. So how much more sinister is that actually, you know? Well, now they just have a host. You know, that's what it is. They just need the host. Yeah, but what is that, though? Like, is it alien? Is it, like, satanic or what, you know? Hmm. like are you possessed when you get this fucking worm in your eye you know you're a reptile now you're one of us because you did the dirtiest shit known to man yeah well like let's yeah let's think about that for for a second let's think about how there's that ant that gets the parasite and then it feels compelled to climb the tree and then it, it plants its feet into the branches of the tree and then the the parasite kind of crystallizes the ant and it makes the ant kind of part of the branch and it turns into like a like a thorn or like a like a nodule on the on the branch and then the parasite leaves the ant and finds another ant and you find these trees where they're just covered in these exoskeletons of what used to be ants yeah but the paras- the parasite takes control of their brain and then it compels the ant to do that that self sacrifice well it's not really self sacrifice it actually just kills it but it makes it part of the tree so then if we extrapolate that and we think, okay, they've done all this stuff with uh, virology, 
and they've isolated the genome supposedly and they've done all this stuff. Well, what if they've created a parasite that's perfect for creating the perfect entertainer slash musician? Right, and, that's right. what they're, and that's what they're being injected with. They're being injected with something that allows them to be controlled, kind of like how there's that drug down in South America, scopoline, you know, where it, you take it and then you're very open to suggestion. Kind of like, yeah. like a zombification kind of thing? Kind of, yeah. Like what it does, it's, it's totally real and everything. It's very documented. And what it is, it's a, it's a, it's a tree that gives off a certain nut and then you grind the nut up in like a mortar and pestle and then you blow it in somebody's face. And then for some reason, they're just like, they just, they'll say yes to everything. Like you say, okay, well, let's go to the ATM and let's empty out your bank account and they'll do that. And it's really popular with prostitutes in South America. What they'll do is they'll go up to a guy and they'll flirt with him and then they'll blow this powder in his face. And then once he's uh, intoxicated with the scopoline, then they'll go and they'll go to his house and they'll take everything out of his house. Holy the, shit. And then the neighbors are like, well, I thought you were moving. And then they go, no, because when they come out of it, they have amnesia. Wow. They don't even remember it. So what I'm saying is, is that the satanic elite have managed to perfect some type of, you know, parasite. And that's what they're giving these people. They're giving them a parasite. It doesn't kill them, but it makes them highly suggestible. And it just slowly makes them uh, spiritually dead and malleable. Very interesting. You know, and it's like, we know that they used to use drugs as a way to recruit people like, oh, you want the best drugs? You want the best doctors? I mean, think about how like the Rolling Stones guys keep on getting those blood transfusions. Right. Well, that's, that's expensive, you know, and you got to have the right doctor and you got to have connection. You can't, you can't just go in and I can't do that. You know, I can't, my, my insurance doesn't cover that. I thought Keith Richards was just preserved from heroin. <laughs> No, it's because he, get, he gets he gets he gets he gets blood transfusions. He's very open about that. I mean, a lot of people do that. That's fucking you know? crazy. Well, and they and they they're an interesting one because that ties into the Twenty Seven Club with Brian Jones. Right, right, right. And that's that's a whole. It, it was that you know? I get if you go into the whole belief that you know, in order to to make it big, you have to make the sacrifice. And was that their sacrifice? And was that their ticket to you know? never-ending fame and you hear you know you know about the people like bob dylan you know Mm -hmm. talking about how he sold his soul and he has to just keep making music because he owes the man you know and 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 it's like these people it's it get it makes you wonder a is it worth it and b why do they do it you know, is it by choice or does it just over overwhelm them and it's irresistible? I just think so, that some, sorry, I think that some, that's okay. I think that some people get into it because they have a genuine interest in music. And especially in the sixties and the seventies, it was just like, they didn't know any better because people hadn't really had the time to research the phenomena of why some people are famous and why some people aren't. But I mean, I suspect that there was people that were hit from the get go and they were maybe trying to warn people. And that's how we get back to that satanic panic thing is um, I don't think that the, the Christian groups were so much. I mean, they were obviously using Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest and all those kinds of bands as a catalyst. But I think what their main target was actually the industry. And that's why the whole thing got ridiculed and shut down and it didn't get promoted was because 
it would ultimately lead to the top. And the top was the record executives, the banks, the investment firms. And then you obviously get into the secret societies or the, the Freemason or the Jesuit type of connection, which is that these people were making money off of it too. And it was a way to sell product. I mean, it, it, it's cliche, but we, we, it always gets back to money. Yeah, it does. But the money is the power and the power leads to more money. And it's just this never ending you know, we have all the resources that we need to live a, a clean, healthy life, but it would require people being honest. And I think that we're like, we're at this stage in life where in, in human civilization, where we need entertainment and it cannot function without the system pumping it into us. In other words, like music's great, but if you don't have the system promoting it, then you would have to actually be in a room with a musician, with an instrument. And they're not going to pay for those big arena shows and they're not going to pay for the whole infrastructure unless they're, they're getting to do their rituals and getting to do their blood sacrifices and all that stuff. Well, yeah. And, and the industry itself is just a giant Ouroboros, right? It's, it's the right. snake eating its tail and it's, it's just constantly consuming, constantly consuming and then on to the next one. And if they, it, as long as you're producing, okay. But as soon yeah. as you stop, boom, on to the next one. You are gone. And I mentioned uh, last time on part one, I mentioned a rapper named Daylight. Uh, and I'm yeah. going to mention him again. So shout out to Daylight. And uh, he, he came on uh, a, a popular YouTube channel called Vlad TV. And they, he was, at the time, it was like three years ago. So at the time, it was relevant to that Takashi 69 uh, when he got oh, arrested. Skittles head? Yeah. And so the host of the show asked Daylight uh, what's going to happen to him. And Daylight was, um, he was kind of role playing as he was kind of pretending to be, he put himself in the position of the industry. And they said, oh, we're going to let him out. And then the host said, well, what do you mean you're going to let him out? Why would you let him out? And then they said, because we brought him in. You see, so they have, they have, they have that's how deep their connections are they can get people out of jail if they if they want to you know and what he was saying was the the, the point of it is is like what they do with these rappers and they do it with the musicians See, the rappers get a bad they get a bad reputation as being like puppets but the 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 rock stars do it too they give the rappers money and they spend it on jewelry they spend it on houses they spend it on cars all that stuff they don't think about luxury tax and property tax and how expensive it is to maintain you know a, a big estate but anyways, but the musicians, the, the rock stars, the guitar players and the singers, they do it too. They, you know, they spend a lot of money that they get and they go and you see that with like Bruce Springsteen and uh, what would be another example. Even Tommy like Lee. The, yeah, yeah. Tommy, Tommy Lee, Lee. Yeah. Yeah. They live these extravagant lifestyles that just pump the money back into the system. You know, it's not like they're actually saving their money. The people that actually save their money and they do it smart, you don't hear about those people because they're not doing anything worth talking about. Well, unfortunately, that's like a Neil Young, right? I mean, the yeah. guy sold half his catalog for $150 million. I mean, not a bad deal right there. And, and you yeah, see I'm, the guy walking around in a flannel shirt and, you know, Birkenstocks, and you're like, oh, this guy is not worth shit. <laughs> I, used to, I, I, used to see, I used to see that dude around because he, used to, he, doesn't live where, he doesn't live where he used to live at that famous place that he bought in the 70s uh the the ranch kind of place that's that's where i'm from i used to see bob dylan or not bob dylan uh neil young i used to see neil young driving around in his old buicks 
you know, and I saw him at the grocery store one time and he was pretty nice to me, but that was the nineties. But, um, you know, he lost that place in the divorce when he divorced his wife, uh, she ended up at that place. And, uh, there's a woman that still lives out there. She's lived out there since the seventies. Her husband died and Neil Young, uh, promised that she would never have to, uh, move because her husband died. So he, so she's still out there, but, um, you know, my father was around in the sixties and he went to, uh, Ken Kesey was doing that electric acid Kool-Aid test. Mm -hmm. And my dad went out to that's in, that was in La Honda, California. You can look that up. And that's where the merry pranksters were. Yes. Well, my dad went there and my dad, he, at the time he was running with the hell's angels kinds of guys, more like tough guys. He wasn't really friends with hippies. But uh, somebody invited him out there and shit, and uh, he got a bad vibe. He told me later when I was a kid in the 80s, you know, he said that they're all degenerate. And your he thought dad, that your they were dad got a bad vibe. Oh, yeah, yeah. He got an yeah. extremely bad. He got an extremely bad vibe from Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters and that, that whole that whole thing. And uh, Kerouac, uh, I don't think Kerouac was there, but it was like those beatnik type people, you know, those. uh uh, people that were hanging around North Beach at the, uh, you know, the poet, uh, the lighthouse books or whatever it's called. Anyways, the point is, is that um, he told me, he goes, uh, these guys are all creeps. They're all a bunch of creeps, you know, and uh, they're, they're subversive and they're using uh, Marxist ideology to, and that, and that goes back to Timothy Leary. Yep. You know, he, he was the guy who was spreading when LSD was still legal, because you guys got to remember that uh, LSD was legal until like 1968. So when LSD was still legal, that's one of the people was uh, was Timothy Leary. He, he was giving it to all the musicians. He was producing he was, millions of, of tablets. Tabs, yeah. Exa yeah. And he was and that was all government funded. That was all from grants. Yep. And this this is this is when Grateful Dead started like getting everybody to fucking drop LSD, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were a front it out at shows and shit. Yeah, they were a front. They, That's all it was. Yeah. That whole that whole traveling caravan was just a, a, a traveling mm -hmm. acid yep. uh, distribution <laughs> unit. And wasn't that weren't they weren't they weren't they called the warlocks or something like that first? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Initially, yes. You got to think about that one for a second, huh? Oh yeah. What's a warlock? A warlock is a male witch. Yep. You know, what does a warlock do? He, he, he practices sorcery. Cast spells. Yeah. And what's, what's an old word for sorcery? Pharmakios. Pharmakia, yeah. So what's, what's LSD? You know, it's, it's, it's not medicine per se, but it's like, it's a concoct, it's a potion. It's a compound, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a magical potion. Yeah. So what do, what do sorcerers and sorceresses and, you know, all that stuff? They, they make potions to have control over people. You know why like the shamans and the brujos and the medicine men had power over people because they were, they were the ones who brought them into the hallucination. Yep. And then people get addicted to it. And then if you needed it, you needed to go just like you need to go to the pharmacy. Okay. So people talk so highly about shamanism and brujos, which brujos like uh, in Mexico, you know, like, I don't yeah. know if you guys ever, you guys ever read those books by Carlos Castaneda? No. No. Okay. Well, you should look into Carlos Castaneda because he's another gatekeeper. He's dead now, but he had, um, he was an anthropology student in the sixties and he went down to Mexico and he found this guy named Don Juan and Don Juan was a brujo down in the Yucatan Peninsula. 
I think. And uh, anyways, to get to the point, Carlos Castaneda brought that stuff back to the United States. And that's when all that stuff started becoming popular with the musicians, all that like experimental drugs and psychedelic, you know, and all that. we talked about that on, on part one. It's like, I don't want to talk about that more. Why did rock and roll get infiltrated with Eastern and, and South American psychedelic? You know, it's like, it's kind of weird, right? Because yep. the country guys like Johnny Cash and Hank, they were all taking uh, black beauties and, and uppers. And, you know, they were, they were on drugs too. They were on amphetamines. They were drinking and smoking pot, but they kept it together, you know, and the music didn't reflect that. In other words, like the old country music wasn't really subversive. It was actually pretty wholesome. And it was just about like, you know, family working yeah 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 so then the early rock and roll like uh bill or is it bill haley in the comments uh you know rock around the clock okay yeah yeah okay and then we got chuck berry and we got buddy holly and we got uh just you know all the wholesome kind of 50s uh bebop rock and bop you know and then we got rockabilly you know and that was pretty that was pretty wild that was pretty out there and then all of a sudden in the 60s, there's just like this explosion of like, let's do, like, where did that come from? Where yeah. did that really come from? You know, and then you touched upon like, okay, well, we reached this point after that where things got really bad. But I think that music was pretty bad in the 20s when you go back to, when you go to Germany and you go to the Weimar Republic, like you go into Berlin and that's where that flapper uh, girl thing and the burlesque shows. Yep. So, I mean, it's almost like music was already degenerate and was already being used by the elite. Isn't that who, where, uh, sorry, isn't that where the jazz hands come from? Like the flappers? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the flappers were the 20s. That was the whole, you know, roaring 20s before the 1929 crash of the stock market thing. Uh, I believe that that kind of behavior was definitely going on in, in Berlin in the Weimar Republic. And then, you know, we know about how bad the Weimar Republic was, you know, with the, with the prostitution and the bestiality and all that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, so I think that music was already definitely by the 20s, it had already been infiltrated by this, uh, this, this. I think the 20s in general was a really pivotal year for entertainment because you saw that being the emergence of Hollywood. Yeah, that's when the silent films started coming out. Yeah, and, that, and that's when Hollywood was still called Hollywood Land. Right. And the sign, the sign reflected that. And then we go into, like, I'm sure you guys have seen a few David Lynch films. Yes. Yes. And you know how David Lynch talks about Mulholland Drive and all that kind of stuff with the musicians and the, art and the, and the actors and all that? It's like yep. that guy kind of knows what's going on a little bit. And they let him make those movies because they're so... Uh, existential they're so like abstract that people can't like see that he's trying to kind of tell people what's really going on and people have no idea like they just think it's mm -hmm. weird shit well it's like it's like when all the info started coming out on laurel canyon right right when that, when mm -hmm. that info dropped people were like oh okay now here's some actual proof mm -hmm. that everything was co-opted well, sometimes you got to think like, why was, sometimes you have to think, why was La, Los Angeles and Hollywood, California picked to be the entertainment capital of the world? You know, it's just, it's kind of strange. It's one thing with the movies, because I understand the movies because the lighting, that was actually why it was because it was so bright. It was the sun, 
Um, Does it have anything to do with ley lines? <laughs> I always go back to ley lines. Well, San Francisco, San Francisco hits on a <laughs> on a big point. Right, that's the, what I'm saying from a ley line perspective. Yeah, mm-hmm. it hits on- and, then they, and then they have that whole prediction that it's gonna like the earthquake's gonna like divide it up. If we're lucky, like, if we're lucky, <laughs> learn to swim. <laughs> Escape See, from that- LA. Yeah, see you down in Arizona Bay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah, it's just it, it it's because you look at it and it's like, well, the, the the other interesting thing about Laurel Canyon is its proximity to the military base, mm-hmm. right? It was right next to that military base right there, and and the people that were coming in and out of there, it doesn't seem to be so coincidental. I mean, you had Canadians, you had you know locals, you had people coming from all over the country. And everybody just... wanted to go and make it in LA. Yeah. You know? And it, but they all ended up at this place. And, you know, like you look at, uh, uh, even like Neil Young, I mean, they, they all or Crosby stills Nash. They all ended up just so happening to meet at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it was well, just like perfect. Coincidence, right? You know, come on. I mean, it was all co-opted. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just thinking too, like it's a lot of it has to do with the weather. Like, think about it. Like, it's a lot easier to to live a a rock star kind of life with the degeneracy and all the all the all the things that come with that when the weather's nice. Like, in other words, like they could have never had a Hollywood in North Dakota, right? Not indoors or not outdoors. Yeah, true. right. So we know that the beginning of Hollywood was because of the lighting, because the the California sun allowed them to make more motion pictures because it was so bright and the cameras back then and the film back then wasn't as good. So they needed a lot of light and they didn't have the types of artificial lights that they have now, but why the music? So you can record music anywhere. So it's like Hollywood just, it became this play, it became this Mecca. So they started building these, uh, these temples to uh, the industry, like these, the, the Capitol building and the, um, What's the other uh, skyscrapers that they have in, in downtown Los Angeles? I know that the Capitol building is really famous because it's the one that's very cylindrical. Yeah. And then it's very iconic uh, too. Yeah, it's very iconic. And then you have a drug supply because you have the Mexican uh, connection. And then you also have, you know, obviously access to the Pacific Ocean. So you can get all that kind of stuff. It's just like everything... Um, about the whole thing is just it's it's alluring i think that that's the best word is alluring so <laughs> alluring the debauchery is alluring yeah, yeah. well it and it's a way it, one of the go, things go i find i mm-hmm. find interesting scary is if mm-hmm. you look at what was california to the old world right i find it mm-hmm. kind of funny that now it's turned into this like land of debauchery and land of hedonism and Mm-hmm. When before it was almost kind of the opposite, it appears it was, it was kind of a, you know, a, a powerful kingdom almost. Yeah, no, I mean, we all have these, these capitals of, you know, like Rome and then Rome fell. And then like I was talking about the, uh, the Weimar Republic, like Berlin being the capital there before World War II, but after World War I. And then uh, Paris was pretty bad. And uh What's another place that was, uh, well, so, like Sodom, like if you want to go biblical, you go Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and obviously people have made the connection that 
you know, Los Angeles is kind of like the new Sodom and, you know, San Francisco might be Gomorrah or, you know, uh, New York City is Babylon, you know, in the towers. I think D.C. Which, is Babylon. Yeah, yeah, we could go. Yeah, definitely go along those lines, too. But then we think about like um, just because music and movies are so connected, I just want to say something, too. It's like when you watch a movie that's filmed in Los Angeles, it's bright and sunny. And then you ever notice that when you watch a movie or a TV show that's based in New York, it's really dark and gloomy, rainy. It's usually all rainy. The time. Yeah. All yeah. The time. yeah. But it's, it sets a mood, and that's why all those Batman movies, you know, uh, especially the new ones with the the Christopher Nolan ones, you know, they have that that dark kind of like. And Gotham was supposed to be like New York City, right? Yep. But then LA is like, come to LA, and there's girls in bikinis, and you can make it big playing. And then Axl Rose, you know, nobody ever really talks about that guy, but that guy's that guy's a trip, man. Like he came from like what was it, Indiana or Ohio, somewhere yeah. in the Midwest, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he wrote a song, and that song's like really controversial right now. But he wrote a song called uh, what was it called? Um, the one that they don't they don't play anymore because it has the N word in it. Shit, I'm not uh, sure what song that is. It's not down on the farm, is it? Because I know they have. No, 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 no. It was on the first album, uh, or it wasn't on the first album. It was on that uh, that second uh, EP that they put out. Uh, Lies. No, well, yeah, maybe, yeah. I think it was on that one. It was called. Uh, it wasn't patience. That's a different song. Uh, it was. Uh, well, anyways, it's the story of how he got to L.A. And uh, there's some verses in there that are homophobic and racist. So they don't play that song anymore. But um, it was actually a really good example of how an outsider would feel coming to Los Angeles. And that's why I mentioned it, because, you know, it wasn't easy to get big back then. And like you said, you know, it's not who you know, it's who you blow or something like that. You know, and uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. And but there was even like there was all that stuff going on in the music world. And um, I think that it's still going on in the sense that if you don't play the game, they will, they will cancel you uh, on the social media. And we saw that with, uh, was it Chris Brown? You mentioned Chris Brown earlier in the beginning of the podcast, Matt. Yep. With Rihanna. Was Chris Brown the guy who went on the uh, podcast with Professor Griff from Public Enemy? And he said something anti-Semitic and he had to make an apology. Or am I thinking of somebody else? Mm, I don't remember. Not sure, dude. That's not ringing a bell. Okay, so you guys know who Chuck D is from Public Enemy? Yes. Do you guys remember when he endorsed uh, Bernie Sanders? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's that's why they had uh, a second uh, feud was because Flavor Flav was pro-Trump. Well, yeah. and, And did you see what they, you know, what Run DMC did? For, no, what did uh, DMC do for the uh, COVID? They did the the COVID song. Oh, they did. Remember they 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 were the ones that did the COVID rap song or the vaccine. No, rap I don't. Song. I don't. No, I don't pay attention to such things. Uh, I did it, not know that. That's it was up. the yeah. biggest state propaganda ever. Yeah. Oh, uh, it was. Wow. It was. I want to say back in like 2020, maybe. This shit's okay. the same shit like fucking Rage Against the Machine. Like back then, you know. Yeah. And then all well, of a sudden it's like, oh, you got to be vaccinated to fucking watch our reunion tour. I heard, I heard that that tour got uh, canceled. The West Coast leg got canceled because a bunch of their crew came down with COVID and they're all vaccinated. <laughs> Serves them right. That happened to everybody. I hate saying that, everybody. Like, It's seriously. great. 
Yeah, there was a, what was it? It was like somebody had a residency. What some of the, one of these positions had a residency. Adele, at, right? Yeah. And the, uh, all of her uh, crew came down with the Shanghai shivers. So they had to, uh, <laughs> They had to they had to cancel it or something. That's know. fucking hilarious. You know, it's just like I was actually um, I was actually at a, a little uh, in my in my where I live they had a little uh, mandate protest uh, down on the uh, business district. So I went down there uh, to check it out or whatever. I was taking my daughter for a walk, anyways, and they're playing all this like horrible music that the protesters, you know, and they were doing the like. Uh, the, uh, you know, they wanted to end the mandates here in California. And uh, they had a boom box or they had a Bluetooth speaker or something like that. And they're playing the Beastie Boys, you know, and they're playing that song. You got to fight for your right to party or some shit, you know. <laughs> yep. And and I go up to one of the guys. I go, why are you guys playing the Beastie Boys? You know, like they are they're leftists. The one that's the two of them that are still alive. Yeah, Mike. You know. Yeah, because Adam Yuck died uh, from yep. cancer. So but did his they, you, Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So Screech if, if you listen, Saved by the Bell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you, listen, but if you listen to the lyrics of uh, You Gotta Fight for Your Right to Part, it's all degenerate bullshit. It's just talking about doing drugs, smoking weed, smoking cigarettes, watching pornography. Um, and so I so said, you guys are supposed to be conservative uh, Republicans. Like, why are you playing that kind of music? And then they were playing some mumble rap. And then they were playing, uh, they were playing some other shit. And I was like, why don't you guys play like the battle hymn of the Republic? You know? Yeah. Well, they probably don't fucking know. No, they don't because they're normies. And that's the thing. <laughs> the, whole thing the whole thing's been like infiltrated by, by, by these normie people. And it's like, they're all supporting the, uh, the thing about, okay. I, I don't want to get into it because we're supposed to be talking about music, but you guys, you know, about the trucker thing. It's like, it's actually hurting small businesses. Yeah, I mean, uh, their argument is that so were you, right? Well, yeah, yeah, but I'm saying Amazon and all those people—they have their own trucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but we can we can talk about that on another podcast. But yeah, the thing the thing with the music thing is it's so interesting because music is so beneficial, and it's like they really got us by the balls, guys, because we like music. And I'm just hoping that I get to live to see the day where they don't control it, even a fraction of what they do now. I hope so, man. Once that system is fucking tanked. Yeah. Well, because they got in deep, you know, and they sunk their ties in, like you were saying, scary, back in the 20s and 30s. But -hmm. then they started adding the additional element of of the government intervention in the 50s and 60s. And that's mm-hmm. that's when you see the music industry start to get weird, right? That's well, when I want to, yeah, and I want to hear more about Laurel Canyon because I I didn't get I was too damn busy to do research and take notes. I want you sound like you know. So what's the Laurel Canyon connection exactly? Because I have an idea, but I, it sounds like you're well versed. No, I I I, ha- I don't know a ton. I actually uh, I'm I'm looking to get a there's a, a book out there on it that's really good. I've I've listened to a, a podcast or two on it. But there's a connection to a, a, a lot of artists, right? You're talking like the Mamas and the Papas. Um, you're talking about uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, uh, Joni Mitchell, the Monkees, like Eric Clapton. All these guys were all out of this Laurel Canyon. 
And mm-hmm. it was like a house and a studio and people would kind of come and go. And it yeah. was, you know, it was a whole scene back in the in the uh, 60s and 70s. And that, that ties in with uh, Terry Vulture, right? Yes. And that's the guy that that supposedly Manson was was looking for. Yeah. But, and and, and but you why? know that song, uh, Our House? Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Was... That by Graham Nash. That's that was, you know, from Laurel Canyon. So who who do you think was what who do you think the real estate agent was that was getting all these people property over there? Like what who who was the Oh, first it was person? it was, you know, within X amount of miles of a uh, military base. So it was definitely uh, CIA. Okay. You know, okay. it it had three letter agency written all uh, over it. And that's you know, and even the dead have roots t- that have ties to Laurel Canyon. I mean, all of these mm-hmm. big names from that era have ties to this Laurel Canyon, whether it's the house, whether it's the studio, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they, it's kind of like how Disney built his empire, though. In uh, a sense, right? Yeah, in, in a sense. Yeah, not as glamorous, but yeah, they, I mean, the same kind of concept where you bring everything local, you know, you kind of keep it uh, centralized and, and you have your hands, it's very hands-on, right? Uh, they're, they're very controlled once they get there as to what they can do, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, I, yeah. It's one of those that I definitely, I think I'll dig a little bit more into it. And eventually we can do a whole thing on that um, because I think that's a, this could be an ongoing series, you know? Oh, without a doubt. One and two. (laughs) Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, this is something we can just bang through back because there's so many different things you can, you you can look at from, you know, the straight music industry uh, to the music that's used in movies to, you know, the music that's used in advertisement and, and how, you know, and, and and the, the psychological side of music too. Dude, honestly, like I sit here and I, uh, my dad's in the other room, right. And I hear him watching TV all day. Like I don't watch TV, right. Maybe like some like Netflix and shit sometimes, but I'm sitting here listening to these commercials and it's like, I think it was like Pepto-Bismol and it's like upset stuff. And like the way they sing it, it's like upset stomach, nausea, whatever. And then the last word is diarrhea. And the, the way they say it is like diarrhea. It's like, what the fuck? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a jingle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's straight brainwashing because think about like, it. How diarrhea. many, how many company- how many company slogans can you recite because you know their jingle? Right, well, exactly. It's, it's, like, it's like it's like hot pocket. Yep. It's just two notes. Yep. Hot pocket. Yep. Yep. You know, it's like the it's like the meow mix song. And you know? I tell you guys, I tell you, like all my life, all this shit that I hate, I'm learning. Like all the shit that I hate now. And when I was growing up, I know why I hate it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Um, so I was taking some notes. I just want to put this out there so you guys don't forget. Uh, we can talk about it off air, but I have a few ideas. Uh, just so when we end the podcast, I want to go the, over those with you really quick. Uh, about as far as what we could do uh, ongoing with the uh, music thing. Cool. Uh, yep. being, a, being a series. I just want to put that out there. But yeah. Yeah. Um, those are called earworms. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. 
And it's a way that you remember to buy the products. So, uh, you guys remember there was a really famous song about uh, Coca-Cola? It never worked on me, though. I'm sorry to cut you off, but it never yeah. worked on me. I was always like, stupid fucking commercial. You know what I mean? And yeah, I people, always thought that commercials would turn me off of buying the product. Yeah, some people are just, they're impervious to that kind of uh, marketing and, and uh, subliminal advertising. Do you guys remember that song that came out in the 60s for Coca-Cola? And it was like uh, this like world, uh, one world government kind of thing where it was like everybody was getting along and if they could enjoy Coca-Cola and it was like yep. everybody was like, that was that was that kind of that was that kind of stuff. And now we get to this whole like um, Greta Thunberg uh, getting artists, getting musicians to go along with her program. Like you ever notice that, like how there's all these artists all of a sudden now care about the environment. Well, right. they did that in the 80s with uh, what was that called? Uh, we, we are, are we the are, world. We are the world. Oh. Yeah. But think about who is we. Yeah. Yeah. The elite. It's like, it's like it's the, 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 it's, these rich artists that, you know, listen, they single-handedly could end poverty with their wealth. Yeah. Single-handedly. We, but they're they're going to come to us and ask us, who, who can barely get by, to donate our our last bit of money so that mm-hmm. we can save the hungry. Because, exactly. you know, they're just going to sing the song and perform. They can't give up their millions of dollars. And what did that do? Fuck Back off, shit. right? It raised them money for the song. That's it. Exactly. Which well, what part about- of the proceeds probably went to some, you know, hunger program, but the rest of it went to the label. There's a excuse me. There's a Canadian version of that song. You guys remember that? Uh, no. Tears are not enough. Oh. Don't I'll look you that up. know that tears are not enough? And they had all these Canadian fucking musicians. That sounds like a lube advertisement, Davy. <laughs> Yeah, they had uh, all these Canadian musicians fucking taking turns singing verses and chorus and whatever. It's just like, fuck, man, it's crazy. Speaking of all that, that of that, that one world uh, government kind of stuff in music, I would talk about uh, Mad- 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 what Madonna was singing about before COVID hit. You guys remember what Madonna was singing about at the uh, at the Eurovision Awards? Uh, bats flying out of her, her vagina. Nah, I keep her last. She said, she said, she said in her song where she's wearing the eye patch and all that crazy stuff. Um, she said, not everyone's invited to the future, and then everybody was wearing gas masks on stage, like like COVID masks. Yep. You know, and that was in that was in 2019, and then you flash forward to like when the world shut down and everybody's freaking out. And she releases that that home movie where she's in her bathtub. I remember that. And she, yeah. sa- and she says, "This is going to be the, and this is going to be the great equalizer." She says. Yep. I think that that was like some type of weird because that got memory hold. Like I don't know if that's still available on her Instagram or wherever she put that out. Obviously, people archived it and, and stuff. But it's almost like that was like an admission of guilt for what she did. And you guys are going to have to look up that uh, that Eurovision performance. But it's it's just it's a known fact that she literally actually I think she repeated it uh, the line where she says um, something about like it's going to be a brave new world and not everyone's going to be invited to the future or something right. like that. But definitely said not she definitely said not everyone's invited to the future. So that's 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 a red flag for sure. 
and like I said, they were wearing masks. And then you got to think about the, uh, was it the opening? Was it the opening ceremony of the Olympics in uh, 2018 where they put all the hospital beds out on the field? That was 2012 in London. Yep. 2012 in London. Excuse me. Yeah. So there was that. And it's like, what are these little uh, warning rituals? And then we think about the, the, <coughs> the, the ceremony that they did at the opening of CERN in uh, Basel, Switzerland. Oh, yeah. You know, and when they finished that tunnel and they had the statue of Vishnu. Yep. You know, and it's just like, what the hell is really going on here? And it's just like, they just keep rubbing it in our faces that they're occultists. You know, and they do it with the yeah. music. And what's up with the thing with the people putting their hand over their eye when they get their picture taken? Yeah, that's... Uh, uh, I mean, that's straight up. I mean, that's yeah. everywhere. That's an obvious mm-hmm. one, right? It's a, it's a pretty obvious one, but then it's obvious that some people don't do it and, and some people do. And it's like, I've never... I've had my picture taken. You know, I, I've never been compelled to, to put my hand over. So who's that's telling them? Exactly. Yeah. I, I've never... I've yeah, never... I've never I've never made the diamonds, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the diamond pose. Like, I mean, you could do it, though. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, let me do this as a joke. Boom. You know what I mean? Put your it's, hand over your eye. But, but then, it's never it's never crossed my mind, Davey. Uh, same with me. You know, like, I've <laughs> never had that, that even that, that inclination. The one thing that crosses my mind all the time is because uh, I do it all the time. Not so much lately. Is your penis out? Uh, no. <laughs> unfortunately for everybody else no it's good not. good that's uh, always a check check that i always first. do i give the devil horns and i put my tongue out oh no you satanist i know right like i've always done that because i guess it's maybe i've been influenced from rock and roll throughout my whole life you know like you're I've been listening to kiss since i was a toddler right it sounds like it yeah i mean that's the thing it's like it's a, it's all fun and games but that literally is part of the problem Right. In other words, all that stuff was put out by the people that we're talking about. And I understand, yeah. like, I, I mean, I fell for it when I was, but it's like, we have to, we have to take some accountability for our, for our, our willingness to, you know, and this was before we realized, but, and now we say, um, well, we'll support this and we'll support that because it's, it's, it's independent. But the problem is like with hip hop, like when hip hop was getting big in New York in the early eighties, they actually had the same opportunity that the punk rockers had, which was they could have monopolized it. They could have actually cut out the big record uh, executives, but they, that they were scared and they were kind of intimidated and bullied into not doing that. But the kid, that was a youth movement. Uh, The original punk rockers from like 1977 to like 1981, that was a youth movement. That was an organic uh, that was totally like controlled by the fans and the musicians. And so was hip hop. And then we see these, these people come in and they totally hijacked it. Yeah. And those people tend to be white males. Uh, yeah, they tend to be that way. But what I'm saying is, is it's like, we have this opportunity again. And I really just hope that the young musicians and the young, um, well, yeah, no, no. My point, my point being is the labels. That's you know, stay away from them, right? Like, and and, and, and yeah. they lure you in with these, uh, you know, w- w- it's it's that it goes. It's almost biblical. 
right? Mm-hmm. The, the temptress. And they, they offer you everything you could ever dream of. It's like Jesus in the desert, dude. Yeah, but... Where Satan comes up to him, he's like, yeah. I could give you the whole kingdom right now, right? He's like, fuck you, asshole. Yeah. You know, that's... <laughs> that's what... If we want to be Christ-like, we got to say, get thee hence. Yeah, and you know? know, the problem... And the, the problem too is because we had uh, we had that crossover success with with Creed. Remember Creed? Yeah. I mean, that dude was a Christian. I think the other guys in the band were too. I'm not sure. And then he supposedly fell from grace or something. He wasn't exactly what he portrayed himself to be. There was some allegations or something that came out. Dude, he we... he was uh, sort of cut you off, but he was yeah. Scott Stapp is his name. Yeah, yeah. He he was posting YouTube videos where he's like. There's people following me. They want me dead, this and that. And he was like going like batshit crazy for a while. Oh, he's probably telling the truth to a certain extent. Yeah, exactly. That's probably why people were watching him and shit. Well, and yeah. then, and that's an interesting point, Davey, because these people have these mental breakdowns, right? And then they go to quote unquote rehab, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of times a programming facility that they're going to where they are going to get reprogrammed and they are going to, you know, get under a different, you know, a, a you know, a retuned under their mind control program. Get and, back and, in the game, so to speak. Exactly. And, and that's what happens. And that's what you see. And one of the things I found fascinating in my research about all that was that when they get to age 30, it doesn't seem to work as much anymore. Hmm. So they have to rely on past uh success after 30 to keep it going and that's why you start seeing when these artists get to you know their 30s that's when they start having the real meltdowns and they have to go to rehab and they go away for a while and they come back with blonde hair and Mm -hmm. like Kanye west yeah they come back with little different personality quirks and things like that and you know or they're a different person altogether you know you see that with a lot of female Mm-hmm. alter ego yeah exactly the female artists yeah. come out and you know they change their image completely and it's like whoa wait a second here you went in as this person now you're telling me of this person well remember got- when garth-, garth brooks chris Gaines. i was just gonna say that yeah yep. yeah i was just gonna say and i can't find that stuff anywhere it's like it's not on spotify it's not on itunes i don't think um it's like he just kind of memory hold that interesting no where you know, did it go oh yeah i don't know i yeah it's like i mean it's it's out there obviously there were cds and stuff i'm sure it's out i haven't looked that hard for it. i just know that it's not promoted on, i remember i remember uh when he did that everybody was like oh that's kind of fucking weird you know yeah I mean? yeah. <laughs> yeah especially how he denied that it was like he didn't even acknowledge that he was garth brooks yeah like he was, he was literally like completely crit- it's the same thing that happened with uh, Joaquin Phoenix when he did this, uh, I think it was like a documentary of something, mm-hmm. and he became the character on uh, like yeah. David Letterman or something, mm-hmm. and he was like totally denying that he was Joaquin Phoenix. Was, like, well, that's the Andy Kaufman skit, right? I mean, that was Andy mm-hmm. Kaufman's yeah, skit yeah. his whole life, was he would get so deep into the character that he would become that person. Well, I think that's what happened with, uh, uh, I think that's kind of what happened with Jim Carrey after he did the Andy Kaufman movie? 
Remember he but did it was that almost, yeah. Man on the Moon. Yeah, but it was it was almost like he was perpetuating Andy Kaufman, like he was channeling him in a way. Yeah. But at the same time, he was perpetuating that uh, character change uh, device, so to speak. Yeah, but have you have you see, have you seen that dude lately? Who Jim Carrey? Yeah. Not really. I haven't really been paying attention. Exactly. Like it's like when he started talking all that shit about the Illuminati, saying he was a part of it. And he was doing the triangle thing and he was sticking his tongue out on the uh, the Conan O'Brien show. Yeah. And he was like, oh, you know. And then Conan O'Brien was like, ah, no, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, oh, come on. You're part of the club, too. It's like, was that was that was that was that being like, um, what's the right word? Was he being sarcastic? And he was actually or whatever. Yeah. Right? yeah, Hyperbolic. And he was making fun of uh, the conspiracy theorists. Or was that his way of kind of saying like, yeah, like, but he's like he's a trip man because he he's like super leftist at the same time but then he's like he's really like a uh, nihilist like he's super black like if you actually listen he's like life is pointless we're all gonna die and then you think about his girlfriend killed herself yep yeah you know well that's that, he, he that's a that whole other thing that, that you see in the music industry right is mm-hmm. is the rash of young violent deaths whether mm-hmm. it's self-inflicted, whether it's murder, whether it's a car accident. And, you know, some of them don't appear to be accidents. I think well, I it think was that- after uh, the, sorry, uh, the duality of the character in uh, the number 23. Is that what it was? The movie that uh, Jim Carrey did? Yeah, I think so. I think it was after that. That's when he, he was like landsliding down. Because mm-hmm. I think that duality of his character in that script uh, probably made him like think about like, holy fuck, dude, this this shit's real, you know? Mm-hmm. Not yeah, just and- Men on the Moon, but that too, right? Well, I I just I think that he started to think to to think like, well, I can be myself now, and he was showing what that what that industry does to a person it makes you very paranoid it makes you um like fear of your life or what you on know edge. Like, on edge yeah like they always have yeah. something over you like blackmail but yeah. um what 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 matt was talking about like when you see these violent outbursts or these violent suicides it's because as everyday people like we are we're just average joes basically at the end of the day is we don't know what that kind of does to a person's psyche uh, living like that, doing that amount of drugs, having that amount of wealth and uh, prestige and carte blanche in society. And I think it, it really takes a toll on people and they have those meltdowns like we saw with Miley Cyrus and Britney Spears. And, uh, you know, uh, people just have meltdowns, like it all catches up to them. And then the industry decides, are we going to save them? Like, are we going to pick them up and, and brush it away and make everything okay? Or are we going to let them crash and burn? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it just, it's like, I think it depends on what message they were giving the people uh, at the time before their downfall. I know uh, whether they were going to pick them up or not. It's much simpler than that. Okay. How much can we make off them if we, if they come? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's it. That's it. Yeah. There's obviously always the economic viability, but then it's also, it serves another purpose, which is like a warning to other people. Like, this is what happens when you don't receive our treatment like think about this way guys like perhaps perhaps it's a strong possibility that these people are getting uh psychiatric treatment to keep them from having those meltdowns and then they say oh no i don't need it anymore 
I'm going to go my own way. I got enough money. I can do whatever I want now. I don't have to listen to you people anymore. You know, they're handlers or whatever you want to call them, their entourage. And then they melt down because they're not getting the, the treatment. They're not getting the, uh, what we could even look at as like a form of hypnosis. And then they, um, they stop being hypnotized. And when they stop being hypnotized, that's when they have the meltdowns. And then when they go to rehab, they get re-hypnotized and then they go back to being normal. Yeah, or, and that's you know, all that CIA influence, right? That's MK, that MK, MK Ultra kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's and and that's almost when you think about it with a lot of these performers, especially the big mm-hmm. ones, they have alter egos. They mm-hmm. have alternate, you know, you look at Beyonce, she has this alter named Sasha Fierce. Um, you look at a lot of these people and they get so big they have split personalities. Now, whether that was induced via mind control programs where it was intentionally, they were split or through the trauma of being that famous, you know, and being that worldly, they have created this altar to be able to deal with day-to-day life. I think this is where uh, Nigel comes into play. Ah, yeah, well, and I'm that's, kind that's of doing a little bit of the uh, kind of uh, play on uh, the autumn eagle kind of thing, you know. That's and that's where I think it, it goes. I think that's where the dark side comes in, right? Sure. They start playing with the dark arts a little bit and 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 bringing things in that they're not aware of. Is that what I'm doing? <laughs> I wonder. With Nigel. Yeah. <laughs> a cartoon goat yeah right the altar is a yeah i think you're safe davy i think you're safe okay, but good. but there's and then you got Nicki minaj had that roman character oh yeah that yeah. was creepy as fuck it's really weird and then you look at like taylor swift in her videos and and all the symbolism in it and uh who was it was it uh, I want to say it was well. Brittany does too because she has one where she wears uh, like a pink wig, and it has a British accent. Oh, I oh know yeah, that. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and she only talks with a British accent, so she's she's one of them. And who was the other one? It's uh, kind of weird. Like, I just stole I just stole my vo- my Nigel's voice from. Uh... Adam Sandler uh, doing the talking goat on one of his CDs. <laughs> Dude, that was, those were great. I used to listen to that shit back in like middle school. Shit, fuck me in the goat ass. <laughs> <laughs> you really whiz that thing, man. You button gave me the old, gave me the old button hook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are great. The holiday Thanksgiving. Dude, song I was listening to that shit in like, uh, grade 11 elect- electrical class with my friends and shit and we were just dying laughing listening to that oh dude I, I remember when I bought the cassette tape when it first came out lunchtime kids oh. <laughs> I sliced up some cantaloupe and made you some <laughs> jelly sandwiches I figured you could eat a little food and then maybe play with your cocktail balls for a little while <laughs> holy fuck yeah, dude, it's crazy, man. Like, there's so much to this whole thing in the entertainment industry. We're just like kind of um, condensing it a little bit and expand, or maybe expanding on it uh, from what we've heard from numerous other fucking podcasts. 
uh, over the years for like, you know what I mean? But like, well, it all intersects Davey, right? It does. I mean, it does. You start, you start getting, and that's what I tell people with a lot of this stuff is, is as I dig into some of the, they start tying into each other. Um, and you know, things that you wouldn't think are connected end up connecting to each other, like Nazis and the music industry and, you know, and, and these, these wild ideas of, of, of Satan in the music industry and dark arts in the music industry and uh, sexual abuse in the music industry. I mean, it's all in there. It's all part of it. And, and anytime there is that much money involved, you are going to have nefarious activity going on. Now, the unfortunate part is a lot of the time, it involves children or people who, you know, you don't want to call them sheep, but they're sheep when they're dealing with wolves because the wolves right. have been doing this over and over again and they know how to, they know how to kill and, yep. and get the most out of you and then move on. They know but, exactly how to fucking play the system. Yes. Cause they're, it's their game. Yeah. Cause I always wondered that I always, you know, I growing up as a kid, I was big into the radio and uh, every Sunday I'd be traveling with my dad on Sunday morning. So we'd always have the only thing you listen to on the radio was case case from top 40. And I always wondered like how certain songs got on there and, you know, and, and now knowing, you know, Oh, it's, it's all controlled you know there's no you know the billboards all that stuff that's just who do they want to push and who do they yep. want to make money and who's it's like how the fuck is justin bieber on the top when he sucks ass and then you got Aaron maiden that comes out with an album that's amazing right yeah and then you look at the numbers and numbers don't make any sense but that's yeah, where i, I would... wanted to ask you scary mm -hmm. if you knew anything about uh any of you know the 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 CIA money laundering side, or that's something we can dive into later. If if not, uh, yeah, I mean, I know I know a little bit about that. I can I can talk about that. But there was something that you said about the. Um, uh, is there like a TV on in the background? Or I keep hearing like feedback. Is that? It, it's probably my dad. I like he's speaking uh, really loud in the background. I got the door closed, uh, but. All right, it's okay. Um, so yeah, I was at a party in like 1999. And uh, I wasn't I wasn't that old, you know, I was like uh, 16 or something, but I, I hung around a lot of older people and, and college kids and stuff like that. Anyway, so uh, you guys know I'm in California and everything. So I was at a um, I was at a pretty, uh, pretty nice party and it was in uh, I don't really want to say exactly where it was, but it was in a nice uh, enclave. It was in a very exclusive zip code. And um, I was talking to this guy and he was. Uh, he wanted to get into broadcasting and, and specifically music broadcasting. And he told me, and he was a rich, he was a rich kid and everything, but he told me that he had already had some connections built up and everything. And he told me, and this was in, remember that this was in 1999. He told me, he said, they already know who's going to be big, like four years in advance. Like, and this is the way that they used to do it. I don't know if they still do it like this, but he said that, uh, what they would do is they would plan, they had like a four year plan for people that they had recruited. And that's why you saw like Britney Spears just pop out of nowhere. And she's like, boom, like instant famous. You know what I mean? Yep. And so he told me that. And then, so some years went by and I kept in touch with the guy and everything. And he was, he was, he was doing good. He was kind of one of those guys who like, he knew that the shit was fucked, 
but he was going to try to get in there and try to fix it or at least like he just he wanted to really be a part of it so bad that even though he knew it was bad and he knew it was evil he just he still wanted to be be, be there i guess just to see it <laughs> for what it was and so anyways he told me he goes yeah they've uh he goes they perfected a, a machine they perfected an algorithm and i can only imagine how advanced this algorithm is now in 2022 but he told me this is probably in like 2004 he said they put in what they do is they take a song and they put it into this computer program that's uh, you, the public can't get it. I mean, now somebody could probably make the same thing, but at the time it was very exclusive to the industry. And what it would do is it would determine, it would determine the, the, the whole point of the algorithmic pro, uh, program was to determine how likely the song was to get on the top 40 and where it would stand or where it would, where it would uh, get on the top 40 based on song length, chord progression, uh, the volume, the bass, like every, it just, it analyzed everything. And in the algorithm was every song uh, prior that was in the top 40. So otherwise they went through the records of the top yep. 40 hits and then all they had to do, and this is how they would determine if the song was going to be a single, if it was going to be a music video, if it was even worthy to be on the album is they put all the songs on the quote unquote album, the rough cut. And they would say, okay, well, this one didn't make it. This one came in at, you know, 75. This one's an 85. This one's a 41. Not good enough. Every song's got to be a top 40. So they just let the algorithm decide what's what's worth being on the album. I don't yeah. like that at all. I don't like that at all, man. But it's mm-hmm. it's funny. It's funny though, Davey, because uh, I don't know if you guys watch The Sopranos, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it, when Christopher was trying to be a music manager and he's in there. <laughs> Uh, playing yeah. the music for uh, uh, what's Hesh and mm-hmm. and Hesh goes yeah he goes oh there it is he goes a hit is a hit and he mm-hmm. goes there's just a certain rhythm to it and that's going to be a success what, no yep. matter what the lyrics are there's a certain you know a pattern to the music that it will be a hit no matter what why do you got to make AI make that shit though? You know, like, why do you got to take everything away from humans? It's just, you know, it's just the way I hate just, it. I hate it, dude. You ever well, hear well, those fucking it, AI tracks from like Metallica and shit like that? Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's gross. It's yeah. not organic at all. Yeah, but you know but guaranteed what? Guaranteed you put that it didn't out there. last, Davey, right? It didn't last. Yeah, I know. You, know, you put that out there, though, like if a company put that out there, people think it was like a real band, right? Sure. But it's fucking gross. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It's, it's been going on for a long time. Like you ever noticed that a lot of the songs from the 50s and the early 60s were about two minutes and 44 seconds long? Yep. Yep. That's because that's they determined that that's a good length because people won't get bored. Okay. The other thing is you ever notice a lot of those songs? I mean, obviously still some songs, but most of the songs like from the uh you know we use an example you could say like the ronettes you know like be my baby you know or uh, any of those songs that were put out by phil specter being the producer is they had that fade out they, they faded out the song faded. Yeah, it didn't yeah. really end it just because they determined that songs that fade out were more likely to get replayed on the jukebox Oh, because you're so, not you're not sure if it ended or if, yeah, and then you yeah. want to hear it again and again and again yeah. and turn it into this loop thing. So that's why a lot of songs fade out because being, that way it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, dude. Being a Kiss fan, I know there's like a bunch of Kiss songs that fade out, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, other bands that I really like, there's a bunch of songs that fade out, but uh, uh, where was I going with this? Um, well, oh, while you're Park, thinking, baby, uh, <laughs> one of the things I was thinking about when you said that, Scary, is how on the radio they speed up all the songs. So mm-hmm. it, it doesn't even sound the same for the most part. I mean, you get the general idea of the song, but when you play the song on the album, it sounds totally different than what you're hearing on the radio. Yeah, it's oh, a radio. That, yeah, it's that a radio brings at- back to uh, Kiss again, where they did the, the double platinum uh, record. And it was all their hits put into one compilation, but all mm-hmm. the songs were fucking sped up. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> well, like, I, mean, I can't stand those versions. Gene, Gene Simmons is like, he's a businessman, you know, like they'll put, he's also put Jewish. That... Oh, is he? Oh yeah. Big time, dude. His real name oh. is fucking, his real name is Chaim Witz. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, they, Haifa. you buy a, you buy a, uh, you can buy a kiss coffin. Yeah. You know? uh, Dimebag Daryl from Pantera was buried in one. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. <clears throat> There's, like I said in the, in the in part one, I said there's 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 like three types of, of, of musicians. There's people that get in it for purely the art of, of music, and they tend to be uh, studio musicians and not really big live performers. And then there's people who are in it purely for the money. And then there's the third type, which is it's a little bit of both, you know. And that's and that's all and there is to it. I always ask this question to a lot of people: like, do you think that selling your soul, quote unquote, is like sacrificing your integrity, or do you think it has a bigger uh, aspect where the actual people who are running the corporations or the record labels are doing satanic rituals and shit? So therefore, you're actually so you're not at- only sacrificing <laughs> your integrity. But you're actually giving them your fucking soul power, right? I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. What it is, yeah. is it's it, you're saying when you it's it's entering into a, a mostly symbolic, but I suppose there's a certain level of actual meaning to it. But what it's saying is that you are not going to be able to be yourself until you walk away from whatever agreement that you've uh, signed with these people. In other words, they'll give you the contract, you sign the contract. What it's really saying is it's is that they control you until you no longer benefit them either on your own accord or at their discretion. In other words, that they can cancel you whenever they want, or you can walk away. But if you walk away, then that's it. And then you get to be, then you can be yourself again. But as long as you're controlled by, as long as you're under contract, then you cannot be yourself. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the, you know, the people on YouTube who have like 5 million followers and shit, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And they say no to the higher yeah. ups. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they don't need them. I will not fucking sign my soul over to you. Fuck you very much. Yeah, because they're living a they're living a comfortable life, and they don't want to fly around on jets. They don't want to try. They rather just stay home and make YouTube videos. Well, that's like that's like this guy Upchurch that I follow. I mean, this kid is from Tennessee, and you know, mm-hmm. local kid. He's got. Uh, he just made his twentieth album. He's 30 years old. You know, he performs <clears throat> basically, you know, it's bus tours, small yeah. around, you know, pretty much local or down south. Um, and that's it. But the kid's doing well. He's putting his money away and he just laughs at these record labels like they come at him all the time. And he's like, he knows the game and he knows what's up. And he's he's been smart about it. And uh, 
and has avoided him. And, you know, uh, one of his one of his songs is actually called it said, fuck it. And it's all about him, you know, just basically telling the record industry to go fuck themselves that he'll never sign with anybody. Oh, it's a yeah, it's a dying. It's a dying industry. And people like that prove it. It's uh, their whole. It's like the last gasp. Those and, are the artists uh, that I really fucking enjoy, though. Yeah, me too. I mean, I don't keep up with a lot of music. I like what I like. But like I said, I'm part one. Like most of the people that I listen to, uh, the bands that I discover, you know, I don't even know what these people look like. They don't even have like social media. Like they're just on Bandcamp or, you know, they just put, the, they're very anonymous types uh, of people. And this goes for, for multiple genres. And I've been listening to music for, you know, over 30 years now. I mean, I've been listening to music. I started buying my own albums when I was seven years old. And I, I know what I like. And I know what other people like, and, you know, people have their, everybody comes to a, a point in their life where they realize that the music that they listen to, it, it just doesn't suit them anymore. And I, I'm at that point now where it's like once in a while, there's a, you know, there's a, a popular song. I'm like, Oh, that's a good tune, but it's, it's usually because of the music. And then I look into who wrote it and, you know, there's ghostwriters and I wanted to get into this uh, on part one, but we can get into it now is, do you guys remember the, the new radicals? Do you yes. guys remember that? Yep, yep. Of all the, okay, so they came out with that song, you know, you gotta put, I can't sing that song. It's just, it's in a wrong kind of. You get uh, what you uh, give or whatever. Yeah, you get what you give. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that, was a, that was a one hit wonder. That was the only song that people remember from that band. They only it's released great one song too. <laughs> they only released that one album. Okay. And then they disappeared. Okay. And then Joe Biden gets uh, elected asterisk president, right? And, um, who plays his inauguration? <clears throat> they the do. Radi- they, yeah, yeah, I remember they came, that. Yeah. They came out for that. Okay, so I, I was like, why? What the hell is going on around here, right? So I looked into that, right? Well, the guy who wrote that song, okay, the, the guy with the beanie, the guy that sang that song, uh, dancing around that shopping mall, he, yep. he didn't go away, okay? That song, that, that group, the New Radicals, that was a project that he that was all him. He found people to play, you know, whatever for the, but he wrote all that music. He played all the instruments. He just needed people to like pretend like it was a band. Okay. Okay. So then what he went into is he went into ghostwriting. In other words, he's has written so many pop songs that you guys would all recognize from other artists. Okay. So he is just one person uh, of many who are ghostwriters. In other words, all these songs from, from Beyonce and, and Taylor Swift and Britney Spears, all these people that, you know, Christina Aguilera, all these people that we don't, you know, what's another one, Adele, all these people, they have ghostwriters and these people make a really good living. But once again, you're trusting people and then you have to look at it kind of like food. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of try to watch what I eat and so forth. But music is poison. It can be poison or it can be medicine. And we just, we blindly, you know, we go and get a hamburger at a fast food restaurant or something. We trust that it's not going to like make us sick, right? So when we listen to a song, we have that same amount of trust uh, in, in invested. And we say, sure. is this song going to, is this song like going to brainwash you? Like anything we consume, right? Right. So yeah. we, we go to a restaurant, right? We go to a fancy restaurant and we know the chef, you know, he's a famous chef or some of these Wolfgang Puck or he's Gordon Ramsay. We're like, oh, is that the guy that's going to make our food? And you go, yeah, you know, that's why it's so expensive. Okay. 
you go and you listen to a song written by a ghostwriter and you have no idea what this guy's intentions are, especially for children, you know? And it's like, it's really spooky when we look at it like that and we think about how uh, these strangers are just pumping out music into the, into the, into the aether. When they have like their own demons and whatnot, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you listen to songs that you thought were like, harmless and catchy and then you go back and really listen to them or read the lyrics and you're like wow like that was a really dark song for sure dude i've seen multiple fucking like bands that i loved over the years you know and it's just like i i can't do it anymore because uh you know i learned so much more about the character who wrote mm -hmm. it and then it's like no nope, sorry dude yeah and i'm with mm -hmm. that to a point but also I, 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 I've gotten to a point too, where I separate the art from the artists and, you know, with some of the songs, you know, I, I was a big Pearl Jam guy growing up um, back in the nineties. And uh, I could, couldn't disagree with them more on, you know, their views and everything, but I'll still listen to 10. That's Cause it's a good song, right? Yeah. I just, I like the album, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. It is what it is. It's a time in my life that it brings me to that. Like we were talking about before, you put on certain albums, it brings you to a certain spot. I like mm -hmm. that album, you know, where it, yeah. where it takes me. And, and, and I think that's cool. That's cool, Matt. But at the same time, it's like, I think it's just being aware of it. You know what I mean? Like I could still enjoy oh, a song by a huge say, thing, Davey. Yeah. Yeah. It's just being aware of what you're listening to, what you're taking in. That's all. Doesn't like, necessarily I laugh mean because, you have to disconnect yourself completely with it. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I laugh because my, my son has a playlist on my phone that we listen to when we're riding in the car and stuff. And it's, you know, some of it's my old, you know, 70s rock. Some of it's some newer stuff and some of it's some stuff that he asked me to download. And I'm like, where do you find this music? But anyway, if I, if, if it's like I'm, if I can stomach it, I'll be like, OK, fine. But he had on there, and I I forgot about it. Was uh, Old Town Road by uh, our our good friends there, uh, Nas? Yeah, Little Nas X. And I was like, oh, we're deleting this one from the playlist because that one I can't like justify. Period. You know, uh, or have him listen to it anymore, see that name any more than he needs to, because it just it doesn't feel like it leads to anything good. Right. But you guys know that you guys know the story about that song, right? Oh, uh, what the old Tom Road? Yeah. No. What sense? Okay, so uh, well, in the sense of who actually like. Okay, so you guys know who Nine Snails are, Trent Reznor. Of course, yeah. I love them. Okay, so he put out. Yeah, I, I used to like. Well, I guess I still do. I mean, I, I'll listen to them still. But uh, okay, so he put out an album, uh, and he made it Creative Commons. And it was all instrumentals. So Creative Commons license means that somebody could go ahead and take the, the, the songs and sample them. But if it made money, then Trent Reznor would make money too. You, you guys, you know, you know what I mean? Like a co-writer. Uh, uh, was this uh, his album Ghosts? I think so. It was like Ghosts. I, Part I, I fucking loved it, man. <laughs> that was okay, great. So if you go on... Uh, if you go on Spotify or iTunes or whatever and you look it up, so there's this one song where it has that sample. It's the beginning of, of Old Town Road, that plucking, that, that harmony. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
So little Nas X was like an unknown guy. He just had like a YouTube channel. He was nobody. And he was working on some new songs and he came across that and he realized like, oh, I can take any Nine Inch Nails song from this album and I can use it as a sample. So he happened to pick that, that particular song. It's, they're all just numbers. There's no names. They're just numbered songs. I forget which number it is. Anyway, so he made that song. This is before uh, Miley Cyrus's dad, you know, uh, got involved, whatever his name is. Uh, Billy Ray. Billy Ray. Yeah, this is, that's actually a totally different song. His original Old Town Road, he put out himself on his YouTube channel. And then somebody found it and then they started playing it on the radio and it was like, but it was, a, it was a very different. It wasn't like, but it didn't have Billy Ray on it. So this actually Trent, makes me wonder why he called it ghosts. Yeah. So Trent Reznor is a, is a producer. He's a producer for that song. And he is a, he gets the songwriting credits because of uh, the fact that he wrote the music technically. Because when they brought, even when they brought in Billy Ray and stuff, they were still uh, using the same chord progression. It was based off of that original sample. So Trent Reznor is the only person who's won an award for industrial music and hip hop. Because when they had the uh, Grammys, he, he gotcha. won Grammys. Yeah, that's crazy, and he, man. And he gets a very substantial uh, amount of money from the royalties for that song. So that's the uh, that's the connection there. That's the that's the little Nas X Nine Chanels connection. <laughs> Love it. What a wicked yeah. web they weave. But I don't think that it was like that. It was like it was just that he happened to, to go that way. I think that he could have stayed. He could have become a, a, a country music artist if he had wanted to. Uh, he could have stayed independent. I just I think they came at him with like those offers that we talked about, like before you know like here sign the contract and i think he just he signed the contract well he's and pushing said, that okay. agenda yeah and they said okay well you signed the contract so now you got to dress up like a woman and you got to pretend you're a demon you got to uh but you know what the weirdest one was was when they made him look like he was pregnant that's that that was like the that was like the that was like that the was super fucking oddball dude and then they're like pushing that whole thing with the uh the emojis now like there's going to be a pregnant man emoji and it's like what are they preparing us for you know like are they really like are they literally going to figure out how to like make like an artificial womb so that quote-unquote males like can have uh you know a, a live I, I mean what are they like what are they going to be up to for the next 10 15 i wouldn't years? fucking doubt what you just said man it's all transhumanism it's like yeah everything goes back goes to uh transhumanism you know what i mean Oh, look at Gary, look at Gary Newman. You know, you want to talk about trans, the beginning of like music having a oh, role yeah. and yeah. like, remember when he came on and he was like pretending he was a damn robot. Yep. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I like, I like Kraftwerk, but look at Kraftwerk, you know, it's like, they like act like they're robots too. And they were doing that in the, in the eighties too. Electric you know? cafe. Yeah. And now that I think about it, there was a lot of that stuff going on in the eighties with the whole robotic thing. Like, um, what was that? Mr. Roboto. Yep. Yeah. From sticks. You know? And then, uh, you know, uh, just all that kind of like merging of the, like, and I'm a, I'm a fan of electronic music. Like I, I make electronic music and, uh, but it's just that man and machine, that merging of the thing. And then we think about like the very first, uh, was that movie Metropolis? that 1920s uh, yeah yeah and the, the 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 chick had like an upside down uh pentagram yep uh you know and that whole thing and it's just like 
you know, I just, I think that the signs have always been there and it's just now with the internet and all this research we can do, we can like finally put all the pieces together and it just, it paints a really grim picture. And I think that that's actually what turns a lot of people off from it. And they're just like, I don't even want to believe this. Like, yeah, the yeah. evidence is written. Uh, I, I just I, I can't deal with it. You know, I, I'm with One you. My... And, and I think they, they there's two things, right? There's the Internet. So things don't go away anymore. Everything's permanent now. Mm-hmm. And and we had an abundance of time to dig. Mm-hmm. Right. And And what happened is everyone started finding these inconsistencies that previously we kind of accepted as generally the story because we Mm -hmm. didn't know any better and and we didn't have the time to even look at any alternatives now when presented with the option to look at alternatives now you start exposing some holes in the story or just pulling back that curtain and exposing the fraud that they're presenting to you you know like the music industry is one giant fraud i mean the these people aren't what they're presented to be i mean it's just a the whole system is uh, fraudulent and i i i I yeah it's definitely it's been compromised it's like compromised basically from day one but like i said we look at the nature of music and it's like why did they have to take something that's so pure and so innocent it's just sound it's just frequencies it's just it's just no it's like the most and like that's so it's for lack of a better word it's just it's so satanic to take something that's so innocent and then use it to push an agenda that has absolutely nothing to do with the music well it's scary if we we look at Mm -hmm. frequency also i mean music was meant to heal right and Mm -hmm. and and they've poisoned that and 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 turned it into something that turns uh, us chaotic right and that was the way the mm -hmm. german you know that was the german experiments that they were doing yeah, but I mean, we still have access to that healing music. It's just that the bad music is a distraction. It's like we can just eliminate that and just purge it from our lives and just find healing music that's made by just rational, non-satanic people now. Because yeah, but have how many, honestly, scary though, how many normies have any understanding of anything we're talking about right now when <laughs> yeah. it comes to this? They, that's we, why they probably not- all think we're fucking batshit fucking crazy and belong in a mental asylum right now so let's get rid yeah of well you know like good you know like i i don't really care you know like i'm at the either do i where, where somebody calls me uh when somebody insults me especially for my music taste it's like you know like so what i'm what i'm saying is we know we know what's right and we we can um we can eliminate that stuff but we're still kind of drawn to it a little bit because of our previous programming like we we don't want to let go because we think that, well, we can handle it. We can, and it's like, it's true. But the point is, is it's never going to really go away because they always, they just, they have this thing where they want to infiltrate and, and take over every positive thing. And we see that even with Christian music, we know that a lot of those people are frauds and charlatans and they're just using it to make money and uh, take advantage of people we see that with patriotic music uh, people that come out as you know pro-america it turns out it was all an act just to make money like i don't know if you guys heard about that uh, black rifle uh, coffee company yes you guys hear about that I've heard and it was all it was all a scam the guys running it with they were leftists and they were taking advantage of the whole maga and based and red pill uh phenomena and they were trying to sell coffee and it, it was all just going 
to the donations and everything. It was literally just like a wolf in sheep's clothing up and down. I mean, the guy ended That's up, that people found out that the guy was literally a cuckold. Like he was like, an, like a literal uh, cuckold. Like he- He yeah, actually liked life. to watch 12 inch yeah. black cocks going to his wife. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the I don't know what the racial preference was, but he was definitely into that that swinger, uh, hot wife, cuckold lifestyle, and it's like you see how easy it is to do that. In other words, I could be like, um, I could be like, what's his name? Uh, the guy on YouTube, he's really popular, like uh, Saltine Cracker or something like that. And salty, he like makes, salty Cracker, yeah, yeah, uh, salt uh, salts Cracker, like he goes on there. And like his whole thing is like, own the lids, own the lids. Oh, I'm owning the lids. Oh, it's so fun. That's low hanging fruit. And you see that in the music now. And I, I just, I predict this huge market where people can just come out of nowhere and say, oh yeah, like I hate those damn liberals. But how do we really know what the hell their, what their agenda is? You know, like yeah. it's, it's, just, it's really fucked up because people can take something that's supposed to awaken people and they can become gatekeepers and say, oh no, you know, no further than that with the music. Like we can't say that. And like I said, I keep bringing them up is look into why you don't hear about uh, KRS-One and Professor Griff. Immortal Technique. The, yeah. Immortal Technique. Yeah, that's- Especially the Immortal Technique. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and then- uh, Deltron. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see where their politics are. Uh, and then, like uh, Matt mentioned, uh, 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 Chuck D. Well, look up, look up what Flavor Flav is is all about. You know, he, uh, like I said, he was a Trump supporter and all that, and they had a, they had a falling out because of it. And uh, you know, you just you see who who's really running the show, and it's like all I don't all I know is that he looks like a, a skeleton wrapped in electrical tape. Who's that? Flavor Flav. Oh, I haven't seen him lately. Is he, is he not? Is he not? Is he not looking too good these days? <laughs> it's saying, like on a celebrity roast that I watched. Somebody mm -hmm. said, "Man, you look like a skeleton wrapped in electrical tape." <laughs> yeah, and you know, and the thing too is, I could think about a few other artists who who who've kind of disappeared, and it's like they didn't disappear. They're still making music. They're just not supported by the machine anymore. Yep. That's the thing too. Like I pay attention to like my some of my favorite artists that are not in the spotlight anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, like today, for instance, there's this uh, band in um, Canada. They're from Canada called Spoons, right? Mm -hmm. And they always play like the same few songs that they're like their big hits, right? And this one of my favorite songs came on the radio, and I told my dad, I'm like, oh yeah, these guys just came up with a new album. He's, he's like no way they're still around mm -hmm. you know but it's like yeah dude if they put out a new album like a couple years ago and it's pretty fucking good but they never played on the radio yeah yeah and there's only so much room on the radio you know and like the radio thing i mean i i don't even know if radio is going to be around i mean they keep they keep it around for for whatever reason but i mean most people i know they have that satellite radio or they only listen to, uh, to internet, you know, playlists and podcasts and stuff like that. Like as far as FM and AM radio, I mean, you guys remember when AM radio was actually where they played the music. Well, yeah. Bluetooth is killing it, right? Bluetooth killed the radio because now everything hooks up to your phone. So you can, you can yeah. listen to anything on your phone now. 
that also reminds me about uh, what you said, Bluetooth killed the radio. So that reminds me of another band, uh, which is the Buggles, that did Video Killed the Radio Star. Yeah. They actually did like three albums and all their fucking music is amazing. But they mm-hmm. still just play that one fucking song on the radio all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys I, I can't stand that shit, dude. It's like, dude, this song that you put on the radio that the, the label paid you to play is not their best material. That always yeah. drove me nuts as a music consumer. You guys, yeah, exactly. And do you guys remember Chumbawamba? Yes, they were like a punk band before that song. Tub Thumper. Well, yeah, well, the thing with them was, is uh, you guys ever heard of Crass? No. Okay, so Crass was a British uh, punk rock band, and they started in, uh, I think, 75, technically 75, 76, and they were actually, they were a British anarchist collective, and there was technically like 30-something members of Crass, and so Crass was run by this, the, the main guy was this guy named Steve Ignorant, and so Steve Ignorant and there was some there was some females in Crass as well, and they all lived in this like uh, old like warehouse or something. They were squatting in in England, and they never sold out. They didn't sell out in the seventies. They didn't sell out in the eighties. And they were why do they were I inter- why do I feel like this is going towards the Sex Pistols? No, no, I wasn't going to mention the Sex Pistols. Okay, so, okay. So then we flash forward to the nineties, and Steve Ignorant, he's like a pretty smart guy and stuff, and he had a bunch of other. Uh, bands and stuff like that besides Crass, but Crass was always like a collective. Crass was always like basically like a club, but they put out like, music like, and stuff. Like Gogol Bordello? Uh, was he connected to that, or are you saying it's like that? Like that, because like Gogol uh, Bordello yeah. is like Gypsy Punk, and they got like a shitload uh, of members. Yeah, I guess in that sense, <clears> of, uh, the Crass was like, as far as musical genre-wise, it was basically just uh, very straightforward, just, you know, anarchist punk uh, you can look it up anyways the point is that steve ignorant he goes he gets like a really good idea and he goes i'm going to start a band that the whole point is to create a one-hit wonder so gotcha, they, they they made they made um that sock uh, tub thumping mm. and the whole the whole point was to make money and then give the money to anarchist uh collectives really yeah like they did a car they sold it to, they were just selling out left and right so they That's did it for a car- cool. Actually. They did it for yeah, it was pretty it's pretty genius move. So what they did was they made um they made it like a million dollars alone off of a car commercial for like Hyundai or Hon- you know some big car manufacturer and then they took that money and then they gave it to an organization in Great Britain that's trying to get rid of cars. So it's like mm-hmm. th- they were just they were not who and then so they got to play at the uh the Grammys, I think it was. And then they revealed their true power level. So they came on Holy and it was like, oh, it's, 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 and then they came out and they just were like anarchy and they just made it all political. And then they made it to the Grammys, yeah. And then it made it and they couldn't cut it because it was the Grammys. So everybody saw it and then they, and then they disappeared. And that was their big like reveal. It was like the big fuck you. Yeah. And I actually, even though they're technically like, they're not really, but they're not liberal. See, they weren't like pushing this main they're they're anarchists and i don't really typically align with that type of stuff unless it's sheer um individual anarchism in other words i know christians who are anarchists 
they don't believe in the government. They put, you know, God above the government. So there is, there's anarchist sure. Christians, there's right-leaning anarchists, you know, um, but the point is, is that um, that's what you're dealing with. And it's the, and unfortunately, it's always the opposite. It's people trying to be wholesome and family friendly. And in reality, they are nothing. They're just, they're the complete inversion. And what do you see in Satanism and Luciferianism and the left-hand path? Inversion, exactly. Inversion. And that's, I, I think that's a good way to wrap this up because we're fucking pretty mm-hmm. uh, into it. And, uh, but we can definitely get another one going after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this and just means we're gonna get up for five. Three, so. so that's all. That's just Maddie's, Maddie's got to get up for five. So oh yeah, I gotta, yep. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta ride with the roosters tomorrow. So uh, yeah, uh, Davey, where can we find your stuff? I'm sure. You can find me at Red Pill Cartel Podcast on Instagram, and my link for all platforms is in my bio. Very easy to just click your finger on that shit and send me a review on Apple if you can. And Spotify. Uh, and Spotify. And uh uh yeah, that's it. <clears throat> and thank you again, my friends. And uh old scary, where can we find you? Uh you can find me on Instagram at Mudfud Memes or Old Scary World, same account on YouTube at Old Scary World, and you can buy merch at oldscaryworld.com. Excellent. Thank you again, guys. You can find mm-hmm. all my stuff at uh, I'm on Instagram, heavily shadow banned, but you can find me, the Great Deception Podcast. Uh, I have a YouTube Odyssey bit shoot. Uh, you can go check those out as well. I'm on uh, Alt Media United. And uh, guys, this has been great. And uh, prepare for uh, number three. It's coming. Round three. Fight. Yes. All right. Have a good one. A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now, this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, 
resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together.